What up, what up, what up? It is your boy, Jay Crawford, back at you with another edition of, excuse my bias, NBA edition, off-season edition, where we still love the game. I don't love. Alone from night to night, you find me. Thank you, James. Man, we are back at it today. Definitely going to be the big show on free agency um gonna still continue our Mythbuster series coming up but i did want to throw in a quick podcast on all of these free agent moves because with 40 percent which is crazy 40 percent of the nba being free agents this year we're gonna have a league that's just completely different going into next season there so we're going to cover some of the moves there's too many to count I want to look at some of the biggest ones there kind of throw my input on there on some of the underrated moves you know some moves that I think uh, went unappreciated we're going to obviously cover the biggest moves there KD Kyrie obviously um, and then we're just going to kind of forecast a little bit of what I think the next season is going to look like for some of these teams so far of course they're still not done but a lot of teams have kind of put together some good teams and put together a good picture of what they can expect to see uh, for them next uh, next season there. So, with that said, let's go ahead and jump right into it. Obviously, the big fish, we already know, was Kevin Durant. As they say in free agency, that's um, a dominoes game. And the first domino that falls is going to start a trickle effect. And Kevin Durant was the biggest domino in the free agency market, even though I think Kawhi is still the greatest player or the best player in the game right now from an all-around perspective. Still, Kevin Durant moves the needle a little bit more than anybody else in free agency there simply because also, it's not just because of how great he is as a player. Kevin Durant kind of made it abundantly clear through his uh, management and his team that he, wherever he was going, he was bringing somebody else with him. And that's why he was the first domino or the biggest domino, I should say, with that. You know, because Kawhi has the ability to risk resign with Toronto, stay right where he's at, or go to the Clippers, as you see now, who don't have anybody. And even before everybody else fell into place, no one knew if Kawhi was going to L.A. with somebody else or not, uh, as far as the Clippers. So... That's why he wasn't the biggest domino. Was it? It's not just so much from a player's aspect. It's, it's uh, also from just a, a team building aspect. Kevin Durant would be the better, the biggest domino as far as recruiting players and bringing other guys with them, which ultimately he did. Now, some people say the inverse happened. <laughs> it said that Kyrie was the one who really pushed for this move. Because he didn't want to go to the Knicks. And he rather had played from Brooklyn. Uh, Kyrie grew up a Nets fan. He's from the New Jersey area. Of course, you knew that the Nets before Brooklyn were the New Jersey Nets. Before they were the Brooklyn Nets. So, there is some rumblings that Kevin Durant is kind of again being a follower. And he's following Kyrie to Brooklyn. I'm not so sure if I buy that. You know, I, I know that can be a narrative for some of the detractors there of uh, Kevin Durant but I, I'm, I'm not so sure if I buy that I think that they just kind of genuinely made this decision together and I don't think Kevin Durant was super sold on the Knicks anyway if he was I don't see him following Kyrie to Brooklyn just because Kyrie will be adamant on Brooklyn over New York if, if Kevin Durant was adamant about New York the Knicks he would have went there um I just think the Knicks blew it, kind of like Max Kellerman was saying before. I just think they blew it. They just, they just didn't. Excuse me. They just didn't present the best package there for them. They even threw out the news report immediately after saying that they didn't want to offer him the max because they weren't so clear on his medical history. You know, just little rumblings like that, just to me, ruined the deal for the Knicks. It had, to me, it had nothing to do with. Kevin Durant trying to follow Kyrie Irving to Brooklyn. I feel if New York would have made the proper push there, Kevin Durant would have signed. He probably would have convinced Kyrie to come over to the Knicks, and they would have started from there. But the opposite happened there. 
Um, as a result, D'Angelo Russell was uh, made an unrestricted free agent briefly. Um, and then they went back and retracted that and actually ended up doing a sign and trade with Golden State for D'Angelo Russell and Kevin Durant. So this ended up with Kevin Durant still can, uh, I still haven't got all the details, but I believe with it being a sign and trade, Kevin Durant got a little bit more money back um, with officially signing with Golden State and then being traded. Um, and then that gave D'Angelo Russell to Golden State, which there have already been some rumblings of that's not even a final move. They may have just done that just to get an asset piece that they can move later in the season. However, I did see the stipulations they can't trade D'Angelo Russell before December because of the sign and trade rules. It's kind of complicated. Not exactly sure why, but I, I, I guess it's just a way to make sure that you know, free agency is really free agency and sign and trades are completely separate. So you can't just sign and trade for a guy, get a guy and immediately trade him off to somebody else unless it was a three team deal, you know, done at once. So that's probably why he has to stay on with Golden State at least to December. That'll give them at least time to go through training camp, see if there's anything there that works. And if not by the trade deadline, when Clay's supposed to come back anyway, they can work on moving him somewhere else which it looks like that could be the case because they're so thin at with Golden State especially at the small forward position um right now if you're looking at their starting five they'll be looking at Steph D'Angelo who knows at the three I'm not even going to project anybody you know it could be a rookie it could be anybody um Draymond of course and they did sign Kavon Looney back now with the Golden State Warriors, because I'll probably just go through this team by team. Not every team in the league, but, you know, just some of the big teams there. Um, they did sign, which I think was a good pick today, Willie Cauley, uh, Willie Cauley Stein, who was, you know, a lottery pick previously there with uh, the Kings, to, sh- you know, sure uh, up that center position, which really wasn't a, a super weak spot for them, because you did have Kevon Looney, you did have uh, Jordan Bell, and um, I forget the other guy's name, Damian Jones. You did have them as well. Though Damian Jones, Jordan Bell, I think they tried them out. They, they didn't see them. They caught up the speed, and that really hurt them, especially in the finals last year when Kevon Looney, I mean, this past June when Kevon Looney got hurt. Jordan Bell could not stay on the floor, even though he's the more athletic center, the more versatile defender. You actually would have preferred him on there because when he went to all those screening roles, where they would put uh, Kawhi in a screening role with Looney to get that switch, and Looney wasn't, you know, nimble enough to stay in front of him. And then on top of that, he has his damn chest injury, you know, clavicle injury. On top of that, it was just a ridiculous matchup, and Kawhi took advantage of that every time. It actually would have been would have been so much better if Jordan Bell could have played at a high level because if he could have played, he would have been out more athletic and athletic enough to stay in front of. Kawhi much better and force him into more opportune traps or other positions on the court where they could have challenged the shot a little bit better and I think he could have attacked the glass better but his his he didn't seem like he was picking up the game quick enough basketball Q, IQ just didn't seem to be there just yet offensively he seemed like he kept getting lost not knowing what to do whether it was to roll to the basket or to rescreen for guys where Looney was making the right reads every time so I see that's why they bring in Willie Cauley Stein and say, okay, look, the hell with that. If Kevon Looney gets hurt again, now we got depth right there at the center at the center position. And actually, Willie Cauley Stein would probably start anyway. He's better than uh, Kevon Looney. And then you can bring Looney off the bench to secure that position. And then also they brought in a nice guy like too, which is Glenn Robinson Jr. Um, you know, us 90 fans, the, the Glenn Robinson big dog, this is his son. Um, who has a lot of the same shooting that his dad had. He's not, you know, obviously not nearly as good of a shooter as his dad was, but he brings some three-point shooting ability. He's a he's a, a tall forward there, 6'8". So he could probably step in and be that small forward, that starter from the beginning. I don't think he's the answer, especially if they still have championship aspirations, but he can go in and fill that spot for a while at least until they figure out what they want to do with D'Angelo, whether they want to keep him and run a three-guard set with him, Clay, 
and uh, Steph and basically move Steph to the three with Draymond and Willie Carly Stein. That's still a really good five right there. If you want to go there, if it can work out, if you can work out Steph, D'Lo, Clay at the three, Draymond at the four, and Willie Carly Stein at the five, that is still a really good five. If you're talking about bringing Kavon Looney, Glenn Robinson Jr. Uh, off the bench as well. And I'm sure they got a couple other pieces that they'll figure out as well. So the Warriors are still not out of it. Uh, I know Bobby Marks on ESPN Get Up this morning said that the team that's currently constructed wouldn't make the playoffs. And I know he said that this morning before the moves of Willie Cauley Stein and Glenn Robinson Jr. came into the play later today. But I still just thought that was just a dumb, just a, just a dumbass rhetoric anyway. Because you know the Warriors weren't just going to sit pat with that lineup like that. So just making that statement to me was just a knee-jerk reaction. Something to get, you know, blasted on the news. You know, something to just, something to just be a headline there. The, the Warriors won't make the playoffs according to, to Bobby Marks. You know, when he clearly knows they're not done. You know, they're going to still rebuild that team, add other pieces there. Um... Because they did, you know, with trading Iguodala, they still get some, they got some tra- draft picks and stuff like that back, which it's very weird. I'm going to get into this Iguodala stuff really quickly here. Um, because trading Iggy to Memphis after he went on the Breakfast Club and talked about how the medical staff misevaluated him or misappropriated how injured he was by saying he had a bone bruise when I'm guessing he, he had. Uh, a second opinion and I'm guessing his his own doctors told him he had a fracture so it's very ironic that about a week after that he's included in a sign of trade to send him off to Memphis of all places so they're not even sending him anywhere where he can contend for a championship or continue on his career they're just like hey he's on your own where he's probably going to get bought out there and the rumors are they're just rumors but he's most likely going to get bought out I think that's pretty clear because he's not going to want to play there. You know, he's 35 years old, three-time champion, finals MVP. He's not going with a rebuilding <laughs> Memphis team with John Morant jocking, you know, jacking up 30 shots again. Like He's not there for that. And he's not there about mentoring and grooming any new. No, he's not at this point of career. He's not doing it. He's not doing the Vince Carter. So he's probably going to get bought out. And rumor is he will probably go over to the Lakers because the Lakers on the buyout market can go over that cap. And pay these guys, you know, the guys who are probably going to get bought out like J.R. Smith, Kyle Korver, Iguodala. You still got Carmelo Anthony in the bio. So the Lakers, if they get uh, Kawhi, which we're going to move on to next, uh, they get Kawhi in the free agent market. They're going to they're going to have to be a big player in that buyout market with a lot of old veteran guys and mix them in with some good young pieces there. Some guys from the D-League, some guys um some young guys who would just want to get championship experience who don't mind playing for a minimum and then they can still re-sign some of their own guys like Rondo, Lance you know uh, uh, who else did they have Caldwell Pope maybe, I don't know, we'll see he, he kind of wants a lot of money but you know what I'm saying, they, they have a couple guys they could still bring back from the other team to fill out the roster as well, so I don't think it's as bad as what some people are saying as far as they're just going to have a whole bunch of D-leaguers and you know, one-year-old guys. I don't think that's going to be the total position of the team if they go ahead and get Kawhi. Um, but I did just quickly just want to put a wrap, you know, on that Golden State Warriors point. I still think Golden State is going to be a very valuable, valuable player in the playoffs um, or in the Western Conference next season. I definitely believe they will make the playoffs, and I think they could be a dangerous, dangerous low seed. If you remember back, you know, you know, your NBA history, the, the Houston Rockets in 95, winning their second championship when they went back to back, they were like a six seed. You know, they, they started off really slow. They had added Clyde. They did a whole lot of other stuff and they were not off to a good start, but they started off as a six seed and they ran the table. You know, if you remember back in 99 in the lockout season, that uh, New York Knicks team with an eighth seed. And they got in there and they ran the table to the finals almost, you know, when they went up against Tim Duncan and Spurs and lost, but had a great run. Not saying that I see Golden State making a run to the finals, but you get Steph, you get Clay, who probably is going to be back probably by the All-Star break. So that means he's going to get a good 28 to 30 games to get himself back in shape. 
and back on track before uh, the playoffs. And I, I don't worry about Clay because Clay's not an athletic guy. So it's not like he needs to get a whole lot of reps up and down the court and being able to jump and all that. He's still going to be able to put the ball on the floor. He's still going to be able to defend because he defends with his IQ and anticipation and his strength. It's not like he's so quick and he's cutting guys off. He's just anticipating moves and he's strong, uh, underratedly strong. And under and his size is underrated as well. He's 6'7". You know, Clay's like 6'7", 225, 230. So, Clay's a big guy on top of that, too. So, you get Clay back, you see if they keep D'Lo, if that works, or if they trade that to get another, uh, you know, solid three guy in there to be the small forward, and now you fill out the bench even more, they could be a dangerous team there, you know, at a six, uh, six seed, seven seed, easily. Because looking at the Western Conference uh, standings right now, the San Antonio Spurs are probably going to fall out. Um, I don't see them making the playoffs, even with getting uh, DeJounte Murray back next year. I just think the rest of the Western Conference is going to be too good. If the Clippers end up not getting Kawhi, I see them falling out as well. So those are two teams that I can see falling out. The you know the Nuggets, the Blazers, the Rockets, the Jazz will all still be there. You're going to insert the Lakers, obviously, into there. And then everybody else, I see nobody else that can make moves. I don't think the Timberwolves will make a move. The Kings, the Grizzlies, the Pelicans. Pelicans, maybe. The, I, I still think they'll be too young and too raw. But I can still definitely see Golden State getting a sixth seed at the highest. Or somewhere between six and seven. And they could be a dangerous out, especially if they can get a team like the Nuggets, who really were a good regular season team last year, but wasn't too great in the playoffs. And maybe they do the same thing. And maybe they get the number two seed again. And Golden State can get them first. And Golden State can catch them. And now you get Golden State catching their rhythm going into the second second round. And now they're looking at who? L.A., Portland, Utah, one of those guys. And it could be a dogfight. So not saying that Golden State is good, will, will win it all or do anything like that. But I think we're, va- I think we're vastly underrating Steph, Draymond, Steve Kerr. And the rest of that organization there, because I just think the way that they play basketball and the way that they, the way they operate as an organization is underrated. Like that was I was telling that to somebody else the other day. The reason that 2016 team, the 73 and 19, was one of the greatest teams of all time, even though they didn't win the championship, it wasn't because they had five top ten all you know top ten NBA guys or you know. Uh, three top ten all NBA guys with three guys in the top five, like like you know teams are like like the general public would expect fans to say, well this team is the best because they have three of their players are the top ten players in the league, three of their players are the top five. No, the Golden State Warriors 2016 were one of the best teams ever because of the way they played basketball. They played basketball. They had one guy who was a top five player in the league, another guy in Clay who was a top twenty player in the league. And then you had a guy in Draymond who was a top 30 player in the league. And then everybody else filled in their role greatly. They didn't have a whole lot of guys in their rotation who were bottom 50 players. That's the other part of it. Fans always like to look at the top end and say, how many top 20 guys? How many top 10 guys? How many top 5 guys you got? But how many bottom 50 guys are filling out the, out the roster? That 2016 team didn't have a whole bunch of bottom 50 guys. They had a few, but it wasn't a whole lot of bottom 50 and definitely not a whole bunch of bottom 75 guys filling out the team. So, and playing key minutes, by the way. So, and then the way that they operated and moved together, that's what made them the one of the greatest teams, possibly the greatest team ever, especially if they would have just, you know, won that series there, which really came down to one shot ultimately there. Um, and it's kind of the same when I hear people talk about the, the 90s Bulls and how, you know, they weren't a super team and all this and that. But they were. <laughs> they were in the aspect of they had a top five guy in Jordan who was probably the best who was best in the league. You had a top ten guy in Scottie Pippen. You damn sure ain't going to tell me it was nine other players in the 90s who were better than, than Scottie Pippen. And then you had a bunch of other guys who were between that 20 or 30 range where you could put Ku Coach Rodman, etc. in that range. And then you had a lot of guys between that 30 and 50 range. And then it was the way that they played together. It's not just about the individual parts. It's what teams play the best, which, which teams work the best as a unit, not just what teams have the best individual talent. 
those Bulls teams worked the best as a unit, especially during that time where you had league expansion, where you had a lot of teams that weren't together for a long time, a lot of teams that had a lot of turmoil. That Bulls team was actually one of the few teams that had a lot of their key pieces stayed in place. You know, them, Utah, uh, Seattle, and Houston. Obviously, the teams that, you know, re- remain relevant. You know, that New York Knicks team were good in the first first part, the early part of the 90s. But, you know, by 94, 95, they started to get a lot of turnover. That's when the Oakleys of the world, all of them left. You know, the Derek Harpers, all of them were gone. Starks, all of them. That's when they had to revamp the whole team. And they didn't really get back around to, like, the late 90s, 98, 99. Same with Indiana. They were a certain team in the early uh, 90s, became a separate team in the late 90s when they got Jalen Rose and Mark So. That so that's basically my, to make my point is that team camaraderie, team unity is a huge factor there, and I think that's going to carry over to this 2019 2020 season for the Golden State Warriors. That we're just overlooking that these guys still know how to play basketball as a group and make plays as a group better than the majority of the other teams in the league. You got to remember. In the regular season, you're going to play a lot of teams who are still going to be figuring out. You're going to play in a lot of teams who have brand new guys on their team who are going to be wondering how the hell they're going to figure out how, who's going to be the priority, uh, the lead priority for scoring, who's going to be taking who. You know, they're going to be figuring out rotations, defensive rotations, learning how to read and react off each other. While Golden State, Steph and Draymond are still going to know exactly what to do. Kevon Looney is going to know exactly what to do. And the way that they plug in these other guys around them, to learn their their style and their um, philosophies very quickly, I'm, I'm telling you, I do, do not sleep on Golden State next year. So I just wanted to put that out there. Moving on to uh, the second biggest domino, which is Kawhi Leonard. Um, he still hasn't made a decision yet. This is today. Uh, what is today? July second. So there are reports that he did go ahead and meet with the Clippers and Lakers today, and he's given Toronto the last meeting today. Uh, reportedly, I think this is by Shams who said that. Um, but the decision still may not even come until you know, later this week. Will be Friday, July fifth, probably at the latest. I think that's what they were saying. Um, the Lakers still have a great shot. Therefore, a lot of people still feel like they're in the driver's seat. I'm in that group as well. It says, excuse my bias, so I am biased as well. So, like you know, I am a LeBron James fan. So it would be great to see. A great big trio, uh, trio like that together. Um, just because I think it would just be so exciting for the league. After a while, I probably will get a little tired of it um, <laughs> because if it gets too easy for them to win. But you know, either way, I think LA actually is going to be kind of the favorites to win the title, whether Kawhi comes or not. Just put that out there. Um, I just think him and AD and the way they'll be able to put parts around them. Uh, and Kuzma's kind of the left out one in this this whole. Uh, mess here that you kind of forget Kuzma can kind of be a 17 18 point scorer now he's definitely does have to split shots or minutes with you know uh Brandon Ingram anymore he's definitely going to have to be that guy um so like I say whether Kawhi comes or not I think they're going to be there but if he does come man I think that could be an awesome lineup you're talking about AD you could put him at the center Kuzma at the um four Kawhi at the three you could play LeBron as a big point guard magic type and plug in whoever the hell you want at the two whether you bring Caldwell Pope back they did just sign Troy Daniels which is his excuse my bias so this is my bias I'm a big Troy Daniels fan because he went to VCU where you know I am from Richmond Virginia and uh, VCU runs this whole area here so I know uh know his game very well and he's actually a great knockdown shooter he was hitting out in Phoenix there for a while so you didn't really hear about him too much but he's a knockdown shooter as well so they definitely could use those guys he will he will get a ton of shots and i think he will be uh equipped to knock them down he does have to get his defense up he's just not a really big guy at all so he's definitely defensively is going to have to pick it up there so he can stay on the floor because they're not they can't sacrifice defense you know for offense with him too much too much they can a bit though because if they get ad and what they get Kawhi with ad you're talking about some a great perimeter defender a great rim protector, and then you got a great quarterback in LeBron who can call out coverages to hide him a bit, kind of like how Golden State does with Steph. So they, they got some pieces there that they can make work 
um, even as is with adding Kawhi, then they still can add Rondo. They can still add those, like I said, those guys from the team last year uh, by going over the cap, and they can use that buyout market to look at the Iggy's, look at the J.R. Smiths, look at the Kyle Corvers, look at the Carmelo Anthony's, um, Tyson Chandler's, you know, JaVale. They can bring all those. It, it, it can get. It can still be a very valuable team. There, I don't think it's going to be as scrappy of a team. Um, as everybody else is leading on to make as if they get Kawhi, they're just going to have a bunch of scraps around them. I don't think it's as good. Now, going projecting forward into 20, you know, 2020, 2021, okay, now you're going to have to look into some other options because a lot of those guys will probably be on one-year deals. But I think by that time, you know, you'll have other free agents that are available. You'll still have some guys on your team who you can resign for another one-year deal who are not, you know, uh, over the hill yet like a Lance Stevenson. Um like Alex Caruso, who can, you know, develop a little bit more. Troy Daniels, if he gets a good year. So, you guys, you still got some stuff there that you can do. And then you'll probably get, you still have a draft pick uh, next year. I don't think it's um, a first round, but I think you still have a draft pick next year. I think they gave one, their first round of next year to uh, AD. I'm not, you know, for, to the Pelicans for AD. I'm not 100% sure. But they, they still have enough to figure it out. They're smart enough to know what the hell they got there going forward. Um but anyway, with having those three there, I think that would be just incredible for the league. I don't think it's going to be just an automatic win for championships uh, every year. Next year, I think it will be. And simply that's because of the top five players in the league, one guy is gone, which is Kevin Durant. And he's paired with another guy who's a top 10, top 15 player. So if he's there paired with that other top 10, top 15 player in Kyrie, that's automatic contention right there. Um, and then Golden State, we don't know how they're going to rebuild totally. And I do agree with um, Bobby Marks in this regard is that they just because they lost in the finals don't mean they're just going to be right back there. They, they really need a year off. And I think they're going to take this one as a year off. Like I said, I said, still don't sleep on them. I still think they will make the playoffs and they'll make some noise. But I think they'll probably end up going out in about the second round. But that still will be a very sufficient and successful year for me for Golden State because nobody really would expect it. I mean, you got guys already talking about now that they're not even going to make the playoffs. So them getting to the second round and losing there, I think will be fine. And I think it will give them enough rest going into the 20, uh, 2020, 2021 season where they can revamp again. Um, with it now, they, then they can make an actual run for it and try one more title run, see if they can get one or two more out before, you know, Steph, Clay, and Draymond um, exit out their primes. So um, that's what I just want to say. Projecting forward, I don't think it's an automatic that the Lakers will would win the championship every year. Um, they still would be favored, you know, with those three there, depending on how they move things around them. Um, but I, I think that because I heard Stephen and I wanted to address that Stephen they saying that it would be a weak move for Kawhi to go to the Lakers because he likes competitive balance, which is bullshit because competitive balance never fucking existed in the NBA ever. So it's complete bullshit. That's the shit that really aggravates me about these old heads. These old people just, just, just lie all the fucking times. Like they only act like they act like everything back in the day was just good. Nothing was bad ever. So I want to attack this competitive balance uh, statement before I jump into why I don't think that's a weak move for Kawhi. But let's go back to competitive balance. Okay. The NBA started off and only had eight teams. Boston won 11 of 13 goddamn championships. The Minnesota uh, Lakers won a couple of them in there. Then you go to the 80s. The Celtics, the, 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 the 80s, the only teams in the 80s to win an NBA championship were the Boston Celtics, the Philadelphia 76ers who got one Detroit Pistons who got one and the Lakers got five so where the hell is your competitive balance and that's considered the golden age of basketball now let's go to the 90s of the 10 championships the Bulls won six (laughs) Detroit won one Houston won two and the Spurs won one four teams again let's go to the 2000s the Lakers won three. No, no, no. 2000 to 2010. The Lakers won four. No, no. Because we'll get yeah, 2009, 2000. Yeah. So Lakers won five. 
The three with the Kobe and Shaq era, two with just Kobe and Powell. The Spurs won 2003, 2005, 2007. So they won three. The Boston Celtics won one in 2008. And the Miami Heat won one in 2006. So once again, four teams won titles in a 10-year span. So we got to stop this bullshit of I'm here for parity into the league and, and, and you know, <laughs> just like it's really just a, 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 a just an idiotic comment because I get what he's saying on the grand scale. He's looking at it saying, well, of the 30 teams in the league, every team had the opportunity to have an all-star because if you look at it, 12 guys who be picked for all-star per team, you know, 24 teams in the league. Ideally, you could have almost the entire league have at least one guy as an all-star that they could represent. That's the ideal. That's the ideal. Um, that's the ideal way that it would go. However, what these old people don't seem to get through their freaking heads is that that's not what happened every year. <laughs> multiple teams had multiple uh, all-stars on one team. The Bulls would bring out two guys each year. When Jordan retired, the Bulls had three all-stars in there. The Knicks would bring out. Uh, uh, Stockton, I mean not Stockton Starks and, and Ewing the, the one year that I think that Starks made it Seattle brings out their two guys Utah brings out their, their two guys and then it was then, then you would get a couple one guys here and there which is essentially what you see in this year's all-star team you have Golden State their three guys you know one guy and um and on the Lakers with LeBron. Jokic gets in. Dame gets in. James Harden gets in. <laughs> you know, Westbrook gets in. So it's it's one, it's it's basically the same thing that you saw there in each previous era, but because they don't like the way that the players the players control where they go now, now it's all bad. Now this is it, this isn't right, this isn't competitive balance. But when a team puts together a team stacked like that they have no problem with it they just say hey the chips fell as it may the championships count the same (laughs) that's what the championships count the same the chips fall as they may when the team builds a team but when a player says hey we're going to take it to our own we're not going to leave our legacy to be debated five to six hours a day by Stephen A. Smith Max Kellerman Skip Bayless Jason Whitlock Nick Wright and Chris Carter we're not going to let them for six hours they talk about our legacies because we had a bad general manager for 15 years oh shoot me <laughs> I would say shoot them They're, they, they are horrible players the nerve of these guys the nerve of these motherfuckers <laughs> the nerve of them to say we don't want you guys discussing our legacies for eight hours a day because we had a bad GM for 15 years because you guys overlook all those other guys back in the 80s and 90s who never won championships and were unsuccessful because they had bad teams and bad GMs around them. You overlook all those guys. Players today are saying, no, I'm, I won't, I'm controlling my legacy. That's why I love when Stephen A. says LeBron, he, LeBron always controls the narrative. You goddamn right he controls the narrative. <laughs> because he's not going to let you control the narrative. Because you're, as I said, excuse my bias, you're biased about who you control the narrative for. He controls the narrative for Jordan. He controls the narrative for Kobe. He controls the narrative for AI. You have never seen him come on TV ever. And the, the 10 to 15 years he's been on TV and ever say any bad thing about Kobe, LeBron, I mean Kobe, Michael Jordan, or, or Allen Iverson. So he's controlling their narrative because he only shows you the good side for them. But for LeBron, he's going to show you the good, the bad, the ugly. He's going to do that for LeBron. He's going to do it for KD. He's going to do it for Kawhi. He's going to do it for everybody else today. He's going to show you the good, bad, and the, the good, bad, and the ugly. But for Jordan, Kobe, AI, whoever else that he chooses from back in the day, he's only going to show you the good. And then he's going to complain that Kobe, I mean, that LeBron and Kawhi and KD are controlling their narrative and not letting him control it. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> like, uh, like, I swear I have a, such a love-hate relationship with this guy because I love his tenacity. I love his story about him when he was in college and how he said he ate tuna fish uh, sandwiches and drunk Kool-Aid for years uh, from college into his ranks of being a, a early years of being a, a reporter just because he, he that's all he could afford. He was taking on jobs for free and 
you know, he was getting small salaries and stuff like that. And that's what he had to do to live and save up just because he loved the game. Want to be, I love that tonight. I love that part of it. But he's such, he's so hypocritical sometimes when it comes on TV. But like, I get it, he's a human. Like I said, that's why this show is called Excuse My Bias, because we're all hypocritical at points. We all have biases. It just is what it is. He just aggravates me with that shit. But um, <laughs> we're going to move on with that. So we covered KD and Kyrie going to Brooklyn. So my thoughts on them is I'm not, honestly, I'm not afraid of that team if I'm L.A., whether I have Kawhi or not. I'm not afraid of that team. That is currently constructed. I was speaking with someone earlier today about that. That KD and Kyrie are great players, but they're both guys. Like Kyrie essentially is a shorter KD. They do damn, they do the exact same thing. Neither one of these guys are great playmakers. And with Kyrie being a point guard because of his size, he's needed to make plays for other guys. And he just doesn't. He has too many games with no assists. That was the problem in Boston. When you have Tatum, when you have, you know, Horford, you have um, um, Gordon Hayward, Jalen Brown. You got guys around you and you're not making these guys any better. You're not playmaking for any of these guys. All of these dribble moves, all the stuff that you're doing is for you to get the shot. And unless a double team comes aggressively at you, that's the only time you're giving it up. And I just see him and K- I just see him and KD just taking turns with that. That's not to me. That's not a championship team. That's not scary. And to me, as the team is currently constructed, the guy who's going to be the odd man out, who's one of my favorite players, excuse my bias, is Karis LeVert. Karis LeVert is one of my favorite players from last year. When he emerged, like really, D'Angelo Russell ended up being the All Star for the Brooklyn Nets, but Karis LeVert was the All Star of that team. Look at the early season stats before he broke his leg. He was the man for that team. He was averaging 20-something points, 25-5. and He was killing it. D'Lo came on later, but that guy was killing He was starting and killing it. And when he came back later on, he, he didn't get his rhythm to really late into the season. So him going into next year, I think he's going to be the odd man out because when KD comes back, I should say, because next year he's going to be the number two guy which means he's going to get 17, 18 shots a game. Because right now, you're probably looking at their roster as Kyrie, uh, Joe Harris, Karis LeVert, uh, DeAndre Jordan, and um, who the hell did they have at the four? Let me see if I can pull it up. I don't know who they have to play at the four. I mean, they got Torian Prince, but he's not really a four. So we'll see. I mean, I guess they can still get Jared Dudley. I, I don't know. I don't know what the hell he's going to do. Like, I, I, I still don't get it. So, Joe Harris is the only guy who can really spread the floor. So I see, I still see the Sims, still see this team next year being a lot of ISO, a lot of Kyrie ISO. Um, Karis LeVert can play mate and score, which is why I like him because you put him in the pick and roll, he could find other guys and you guys open. He can also hit his shot. He had a good floater. He has a good mid-range shot. He can hit from deep, but he's not a pure shooter, though. He's a scorer, not a shooter. And that's why I say he would end up being the odd man out when KD comes back. Because even if you play KD at the four, now you're talking about an ISO for Kyrie, ISO for KD, and Curse Ver, you just kind of sit on the sideline. <laughs> you just kind of sit on the wing, wait for us to get you the ball. And every now and then you may cut and do some stuff. I mean, I'm not saying he can't adapt his game. He can't adapt his game to be really good off the ball, like a Sean Marion type who just knows when to cut and, and space the floor for guys like that. But to me, you're kind of you're taking you're holding yourself back as a player doing that I think Karis LeVert has all-star talent all-NBA talent where he can be a 20 point 25 point scorer seven rebounds seven assists guy with two steals a game and I think he might have to be on his way out of there and maybe Brooklyn uses him this year as a showcase year making him their number two guy and just showcasing him knowing full well when KD comes back his role is going to be diminished so they showcase him next year, then see if they can trade him for some good pieces, maybe put some shooters around the uh, around you know KD and Kyrie, and maybe a pass first guy to kind of play point. Even though Kyrie is really the point, but another pass first guy who can really play the point guard, who's maybe a taller point guard, maybe like how Sean Livingston used to be before the injury, uh, maybe a, a player of that type. I can't think of anybody off the top of my head like that. 
But I know there's some players out there who are pass first guys like that who can be six seven, who really can bring the ball up, orchestrate the offense, and then play great defense because they can guard some twos because of their size. That's the only way I can really see this team being a championship contending team. Other than that, I can just see them just basically being your turn, my turn. Your turn, my turn. The difference between Kyrie and LeBron and KD and LeBron is that LeBron was the point guard as well. LeBron, when Kyrie wouldn't get an assist, Kyrie would, I mean, LeBron would get everybody else involved and get 30 points. KD ain't doing that, bro. I'm, I don't care what the hell you say. KD is not doing it. He's never shown in his career he could do that. He became a better playmaker when he was in Golden State with two of the best shooters of all time on the floor. And also having two other of uh, the best basketball minds in Iguodala and Draymond on the floor. But now you put him on a team where he's going to have some young guys, he's going to have some guys whose basketball IQ is not that high, where you're going to have a, Dre, uh, a DeAndre Jordan who's not going to be guarded unless he's right at the rim, a guy who they, they're going to hack a shack on him as well. So they're going to shrink the – I mean, bro, I, I don't see it. I don't see it. I see it as a lifestyle move. I see it being very exciting. They're going to have some memorable games with Jay-Z courtside and probably going to be a game where KD goes for 60 and it's going to go crazy and then Kyrie's going to go for 45 or 50 the next game and it's going to be just nuts. I can see all of that, but I can also see in the playoffs when it gets down to crunch time and teams are just basically going to be like, hey, we're going to guard two guys just like how Toronto did versus uh, you know the, uh, the Warriors this year. When they say, hey, y'all only got two options, Clay and Steph. So we're going to triangle in two. We're going to box in one. We're going to do whatever. I can see Cash is doing I can see teams is doing it. Say, hey, we're just going to triangle in two, these two. We ain't worrying about DeAndre. Because like I said, if he ain't catching a lob, he's useless. On the offensive end, anyway. Joe is the only one that we'll stick to as well. But like I said, if Cash is on that team, he's not a, a spot-up shooter. He's a scorer. So they will probably live with that. And whoever else is on the floor, we'll see, you know, whoever, how that works. I, I'm, I'm just not super convinced of it there. I think Philly has a great chance to not only take them, you know, this year, but going into next year as well. You know, them bringing back Tobias, one, is a good move. Like I said, I think they paid a lot, <laughs> definitely. They definitely paid a lot for, for Tobias, and losing J.J. definitely hurt. But... You know, with Ben signing, I think he was uh, signing the the extension today. And you get a healthy Joel Embiid all year. You got Al Horford now to be veteran leadership, who you can play with Embiid. And now you got an inside-outside tandem right there with Tobias at the three. And then you get Ben, um, you know, up top. (sighs) That can be not only a great defensive team, but I think the off, I think offensively they would be amazing as well. And I think the addition of adding or Al Horford just so you have that veteran leadership and that 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 basketball brain. I think that's the most underrated thing for a lot of fans to comprehend is that basketball is a chess game as well. You got to have guys on on the fly who they can't just rely on reaction. Um, Athletically, They can't just rely on a coach putting them in position. You got to have guys who can outthink the opponent right there on the floor. Al Horford is one of those guys who can do that. Um, I, I, I just really like the way that they look right there. And then you add in Josh Richardson there with the trade for Jimmy Butler. <laughs> so you talk about Josh Richardson who can shoot and score. Ben, Tobias, Al, Joel. And they were right there to win this year. And you can't tell me that team, even going against KD and Kyrie, can't beat them. Because you could put uh, Josh Richardson on Kyrie. Ben can roam. Or you can put, um, yeah, Ben can roam. KD would get off anyway, but you would just put a zone behind him. You could triangle in two. And then you still got Al Horford and Joel behind them. <laughs> Hey, Philly is in a really good spot there. Philly Philly is in a really good spot there. They might be my early pick to come out of the East next year, uh, depending on what Kawhi does. I, I mean, even if Kawhi goes back to Toronto, I still might pick Philly anyway um, with that. But just really quick, I just kind of want to jump into some of the other pieces there. Uh, Jimmy Butler going to Miami. 
no one really saw that coming until like the last minute there. But I like that, man. Miami got rid of Whiteside's contract as well. I think Miami's going to have, I think Pat's back in his bag. I've been a big Pat fan, like I said. Excuse my bias since LeBron went there. Um, I think now that he's got rid of, uh, rid of Whiteside, got in Jimmy, he has some pieces there. That he, I think they probably sold Jimmy on, hey, give us one year to kind of figure this thing out, get some other guys in free agency. You know, Giannis is a free agent coming up. And even though most people don't think Giannis would leave, and he's, he's not that type of guy who would be attracted to lifestyle and stuff like that, I think Pat can talk that game to him. And I think Pat is looking at that down the line to say, hey, we can pair you with Jimmy like we did Braun and D-Wade because Giannis is a big LeBron fan. And you can sell that lifestyle. They can have some pieces around them as well. Um, I, I just think Miami is in a really good position. I think they'll punt on next year, but I think they'll be in a really good position going forward. Um, Boston with Kimba. Not a big fan of it, just to be honest. To me, you just got a, a diet Kyrie, and I love Kemba, don't get me wrong. But to me, you kind of got the same player, even though he's, you know, going to probably be a better camaraderie guy, locker room guy. I get all that. But Kemba's still a guy who's used to shooting 20 times a game. So you still got to see how long he will be cool with taking 16 shots now because Tatum's going to be taking more. And then you got to remember Gordon Hayward, they say they, they really feel good about him. And he's going to take an even bigger role uh, going into next year. Um, so, I, I don't know. I'm not, not a big fan of that one. We'll, we'll see. Um, yeah, I'm just not a big fan of that, that move there. We'll see how that goes. Um, you got Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee is still going to be right there with it. Even with losing Brogdon, they essentially replaced him with Wes Matthews, who is a very smart player, um, very tough defensive guy. Kept Brook, added Brook's brother Robin, so they got depth at the center position. They even said Powell was talking about coming back. So even though Powell isn't obviously what he was, but he's still a guy who can maybe spot you 10 minutes every now and then, still get you veteran leadership off the bench. I feel like Giannis is going to come back very, <laughs> very determined. And, and even better next year with winning the MVP and kind of being embarrassed in the uh, conference finals there. So I think he's going to come back even better, which is going to be the most dangerous part. Um, and then you still got Bledsoe, George Hill resigned. You signed uh, Chris Middleton back. Them and, them and Philly, to me, are going to be battling in the conference finals there, um, regardless of what Toronto does, honestly. The sleeper there, I think it's going to be Indiana. Indiana adding Brogdon. So now you have a great defensive backcourt of Brogdon and Oladipo. So with Collison retiring, which is crazy, he kind of retired at 31. But I get it. You know, hey, you do what you do. He made his money. He's ready to go. But um, Indiana having uh, Oladipo and um, Brogdon in the backcourt there, even though they lose Bogdanovich there, they still have, um, I think they lost Thaddeus Young as well, too. But they still have a great backcourt there. You still got Sabonis, which is why I, th- I don't think they really worried about losing um, Thaddeus Young or Bogdanovich, really. Because remember, Sabonis was coming off the bench, but Sabonis really was probably their best player last year. So they're like, why the hell would we just keep him on the bench when we can just bring him in, you know, as a starter there? So you bring him in at the three there. You still have Miles um, Turner, who's, you know, improving every year, led the league in blocks. Indiana's going to be right there as a great sleeper team. Um, I don't think they'll make that next push into that conference finals, but I think they could get out that first round and and get there as well. Um, The New York Knicks, I still... (laughs) The New York Knicks, we talked about them earlier, of how they're blowing it with uh, KD. But I still believe the New York Knicks actually put together a pretty decent team that has a really long shot but has a shot in the dark at the playoffs and if you follow me on this 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 is my thought pattern with it you added Julius Randle who's a 20 and 10 guy Julius Randle is also a very competitive guy so he's not going to be there for tanking and and just throwing away a season because I also believe last year the, the Knicks threw away a lot of games tanking because if you were to look at it the Knicks played probably more lineups more starting five lineups with non-injuries 
meaning the injury is not affecting the lineups that anybody in the league. I mean, they will have Trey Burke starting one game, then Frank uh, Nicolola, whatever you say his name, him starting the game. Got Damian Dotson starting some, then Alonzo Trier will come in, and Mitchell Robinson starts the game, then Cantor. It's like, bro, they move everybody around, and it felt like it felt like they literally were just trying to showcase every single player on their team because they wanted to see other teams to see these guys so they could use them as trade bait to get somebody else in because they were going to trade for AD. So I felt like they were trying to they were trying to use every single player on their roster. <laughs> And showcase them so then they can use them as trade bait later on. So this year, I think they're not going to go that way. I think they're definitely going to shorten that rotation. You got Dennis Smith Jr. still there. You got Alfred Payton, who was getting like triple doubles every other game at the end of the season. You got a double-double machine in Julius Randle. You still have Mitchell Robinson, who's playing great. You got Kevin Knox there. They've added Wayne Ellington and Reggie Bullock as three-point shooting. I just think you still got Damian Dawson and Alonzo Tree. You still got those guys on the bench as well. I just think if they put those guys together, short net rotation, they could be like the like the Clippers were last year. How the Clippers won without a major star. I think they could do the same exact thing in the Eastern Conference, especially seeing that last year you had the Magic and the Pistons who made the playoffs with about 40, 41, 42 wins. The Magic to me didn't get any better, and I felt like a lot of teams in the East got better. So I'm, I, I'm, they could fall out. Detroit, even though they added Derrick Rose, who I love, that's my guy, but I don't see them moving up anymore either. So yeah, it's a big jump from 17 wins to 40, but I don't really think that the Knicks last year were truly a 17 win game, I mean, 17 win team. I feel like they tanked about 10 of those. I really think they could have won 30 games easily last year if they played the proper rotations and really tried to win each game. So if you look at them as a 30-win game, 30-win team, and you add in these extra players, I can see them adding 10 more wins to that. That's just my theory, something I'm throwing out there. You heard it here first on Excuse My Bias, that the Knicks could make the playoffs there next year. Not making a guarantee. I need to see more things for you, but I'll keep you up to date on that one. Um, but other than that, I mean, it's too many moves to go through all of them there. I do like uh, Rozier in, in, in uh, Charlotte just because I wanted him to get his own spot so he can now he can prove it. You know, and now it's time to put up a shut up. If you say you're, a, you're an all-star point guard, you're a top five point guard, now you got to prove it. You got your own team. So I'm happy for him with that. Um, IT went to the Wizards. You know, I'm a big IT fan. I like all the small guards. Uh, we're here in the Richmond area, so we do root for D.C. every now and then. Um I made some good moves. I think that's that's pretty much all I'm going to cover there for today. We're still just going to keep our ears to the ground with Kawhi, see how that goes. Um, but I'm going to post this up there. You guys let me know on the uh, Excuse My Bias podcast, Instagram page, and Facebook pages. Let me know what was the best free agent pick. What did you guys think of my predictions there and my uh, analysis of those picks? And, uh, you know, let me know what would you think was the best free agent move and what was the most underrated one and what was the stupidest one. And we'll go back and forth from there. So I appreciate you guys hanging in there for me with this one here. We're going to pick up with another podcast very soon. Once again, this is your boy, Jake Crawford, for Excuse My Bias, the one and only bias sports podcast show, but not the one and only because we all have biases. It's different biases. Until next time, people, you guys take care. Peace.